Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krall, and you're listening to episode 61 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, I have the honor and pleasure of chatting with Stacy J. Aswad from Must Do Disney, formerly known as the Top 7 Must Sees at Walt Disney World. And if you've been to the Walt Disney World Resort in literally the last 15 years and stayed at one of the many hotels on property and turned on that in-room TV station, you have no doubt seen Stacy go around the Walt Disney World Resort to talk about the must-do attractions, shopping, and dining across the four theme parks, two water parks, and Disney Springs. She's been like our Disney sidekick, which we'll talk about for the last 15 years. And of course, in this episode, we're going to get to talk to her a bit more about her experiences recording for the top seven must-sees and for must-do Disney. But we'll also get the chance to talk with her a bit more about her entire performing arts career. And she has a really interesting story and a lot of success even since Must Do Disney. She even has a web show which she co-hosts with Chuck Duran called VO Buzz Weekly, which we'll also talk a bit more about in this episode of the show. Of course, at the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all of our social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. that you must do. But there are only a few of those must-dos that you really want to do. And that's why we're here today. We're going to take you all around the Walt Disney World Resort, park by park, and show you what's hot and what you must do right now at Walt Disney World. This is Must Do Disney. Let's go. So if you've been to Walt Disney World, there is no doubt that, especially if you're staying at a resort, you've turned on the TV and tuned into the channel Must Do Disney. And of course, if you have tuned into Must Do Disney over the last decade and a half, you have no doubt encountered Stacey J. Aswad, who is my special guest on this podcast episode. So welcome to the show, Stacey. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, So it's amazing. I have to ask, you have been, and I was doing the math, I mean, you've been doing this since 2005, which is almost 15 years. Did you ever think it would last this long? I did not, especially because my very first contract was for one year. So as I do with everything in my business, it's it's very fleeting. Things can be fleeting. And so 
kind of how I live my life in general is I'm kind of like a cat. I live in the moment. I don't think about yesterday. And I don't think about tomorrow. I really just try to stay present to what's what's happening and what I'm experiencing. So I just enjoyed every moment of it. And every time they said, hey, you want to stay? And hey, you want to come back? And hey, you want to keep doing this? I It was just, it was like a little Christmas present every time. So I I just, I feel so honored and so grateful to be a part of everyone's lives at truly the happiest moments and the most memorable moments. So it's really, uh, I'm like the, I'm like the sidekick in your vacation that you don't have to feed. You don't have to pay for well, specifically, you know, <laughs> so I'm like the little, uh, sidekick for everybody. That's awesome. I didn't think about it, but that's so true. You really are like the little sidekick in our vacation telling us where to go, what to do, the must do's, um, well, that's, that's amazing. I didn't realize you started out with a one-year contract. So it's great, yeah. great that you've been doing this for, uh, for this long. Um, yeah. so hopefully, you know, in this episode, I definitely want to, we're going to talk of course about Disney, but I also want to talk a little bit about your career as a whole, because I don't think a lot of people have ever realized that you do more than just must do Disney and want to shed some light on that. And I thought actually a good place to start you have on your website what I think is a pretty um, incredible bio because it outlines a lot. Um, and I just want to <laughs> read that quickly for those okay. who don't know you as well. So, um, so you're right on the, web- on the website. Stacy, known to her friends as Small and Mighty, is a versatile voice actor in commercials, promos, narration, animation, and video games. Heard recently in projects for The Ellen Show, Netflix, Food Network, Toyota, AT&T, Nescafe, McDonald's, and Subway. She's a captivating on-camera actress and award-winning host, producer, and scriptwriter, pro dancer slash choreographer, and spokesperson who grew up between upstate New York and Manhattan. Since 2005, millions of people love her as the effervescent host of Walt Disney World's top seven must-sees and must-do Disney TV shows. Stacy and Chuck Durant are the producers and hosts of the Voice Arts Award-winning show, web show, sorry, VO Buzz Weekly. And then you go on to talk about being a gourmet chef and baker, animal advocate, fitness buff, <laughs> renovation junkie, crafting wizard, diehard fashionista, and trusted confidant. Uh, is there anything you can't do? <laughs> I can't be tall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that's much control you have over that. I cannot do. I am 62 inches, and that's all you get. So uh, <laughs> I'm like a fun-sized candy bar, you know? If I was probably bigger, it'd be too much. So at least, uh, you know, I'm like... Yeah, but my friends call me small and mighty because I'm big inside. I'm just not big in stature. That's all that accounts is is on the inside. Yes. Um, so obviously there's a lot to dissect here. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about must do Disney. But first, I, I definitely want to back up a little bit. And I think it's always useful to give people an idea of where you sort of grew up. And I know you grew up in uh, Binghamton, New York, which is not too far from New York City, upstate by a, just a few hours drive. Um, and I know that you, so you went to Juilliard and you've been in performing arts for a long time, but how early can you remember actually being interested in performing arts? Was it a a lifelong passion or something that grew into your, like, did you grow an enthusiasm for it as time went on? Well, in my family, I have a very big family. I have four sisters. My parents are wonderful. I have a huge extended family and I had the great fortune of being around my extended family a lot growing up for like the first big chunk of my life, which was such a gift and my grandparents. And so 
a family gathering of my clan was like, you know, dozens and dozens of people. So everyone in my family in their own way is an, a performer, you know, not everyone pursued it, um, professionally, but I, my father, he's a doctor, but he's also an incredible comedian and he's witty. And so we would always be talking, he'd always be doing imitations of like Peter Sellers, Inspector Cluzo and, and we would be doing voices and accents and dialects and, and there was always music and opera and all kinds of genres of music playing. And so from the time I was little, there was, you were always encouraged to use your voice and to be comfortable with yourself. And there wasn't like a don't, you know, children should be seen, not heard kind of policy in my family. We were heard a lot. And so I started roller skating with my sisters when I was literally like five years old, I started doing that. And so I always felt comfortable being in front of people. I always felt like I had something I wanted to share, um, whether it was dancing around. I then started dancing to help my skating when I was like nine years old. And then I just, I did both for a long time and finally had to make some choices there. But I always just felt comfortable performing. And it wasn't so much that I needed to be the center of attention. I just always felt like I had something to say or something to do. I wanted to be moving. I wanted to be, I would hear music and I couldn't hold still. I would always start twirling and flitting and cartwheeling. And so I think honestly, it probably is pretty cellular for me. I've done other careers in my life. I've sold real estate. I've been in the fitness world as I was a fitness trainer and, and instructor, which is a different kind of performance. But Whenever I've done something that wasn't 100% performance, I would always qualify it. Like before I moved to LA, I sold real estate so that I could have a little nest egg in case things didn't hit for me right away. And I remember people would say, oh, you're, you're a real estate broker. Yes, I am, but I'm also an actor and a dancer. And so I always knew that it was just, it's who I am to my core. And I think a lot of it is, I think maybe it was just how I was born, but I think definitely how I was raised encouraged whatever instincts I had, that they were welcome to come out. They weren't an annoyance. And my family would sit and watch me do a one, one woman nutcracker, uh, in the, in the living room after I came home from rehearsal for the actual nutcracker. So they would chime in and they would encourage me and they still do. I mean, I feel like every time I get a win in my career, I share it with them because especially my parents, the sacrifices they made and the choices they made and encouraging me really made a difference in me having, I think, the confidence to really pursue it as more than just a hobby. I mean, they never said, go get a real job and go do something nine to five because you'll never make it. They always wanted to make sure that I had something between my ears, which going to Juilliard was a good compromise because I did get a BFA in dance, which I ended up using when I started teaching and choreographing. Um, and I had to do academics, uh, fine art academics with that. But it was a good compromise because they, they knew that this is who I was. And like they do with all of my sisters and I, they really celebrate who we are. And as much as we're so much alike, we're also very individual and they don't they don't prevent us from being authentic. That's incredible. I think it's so important to have parents who are encouraging and that makes a huge difference. I feel like if perhaps they 
thought that pursuing a performing arts career wasn't as valuable and told you to quote unquote, go get a real job, <laughs> um, which of course performing yeah. arts is a real job that things might've turned out a little differently. And uh, clearly you have definitely gained a lot of success just by following what you're passionate about. And I know your parents sounds like had a, uh, a strong way of helping you to guide you into that career path for whatever you truly wanted to do. For sure. I mean, they're incredible. My sisters are incredible. I mean, I call them the four chambers of my heart. I mean, they are, we talk almost daily. I mean, they're just, they're my best friends as well. And I think, unfortunately, not everyone has that support system. So sometimes you have to look outside of your family structure to find it. But I think it's so important to do that. And and I have family out here because I'm 3000 miles away from my family now. But I have what I call my chosen family here in Los Angeles. And most of us are away from our families. And so we show up for each other in, in that way of just support. And, and we really have each other's back in the sunshine and in the cloudy times. And so sometimes you do have to stretch for people who don't have that naturally, but I think it's really important to find people that are going to tell you the truth. They're going to be supportive and they're going to be there for you um, and and remind you maybe of your dreams or your passions when you forget or when you don't feel fearless. And and I think that when you can find people that you can do that reciprocally, I think it's really, really special. And I think it makes a difference in the kind of life that you get to live. Absolutely. Now, when you were growing up, so I know, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, your first trip to Walt Disney World was for must do Disney um, for the top sevens. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you were growing up, did you have an, or what I should say, of course you probably had an awareness of Disney, but what was sort of your, uh, you know, were you a big Disney fan growing up or were you, did you, you know, did your family go to the movies to see different Disney pictures that had come out or was it something that, was not necessarily a part of your early childhood, but more came to be when you started working for Disney for the top sevens. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we had a big family, like I said, and so it was, you know, moving seven people and usually my grandparents, you know, around nine people, it was challenging. And plus I was, you had to pry me off the skating floor or the dance studio. Uh, I was not the kid that my parents had to force to do that. If anything, they were like, please stop doing that. You need to take a rest. I, um, and plus I, I, I knew that I had to keep my grades up in order to get to do the things I wanted to do with all of that. But we definitely watched the movies. We definitely, uh, we definitely were aware of it. I was Mickey Mouse multiple times for Halloween costumes. Oh, that's awesome. Had the big yellow shoes. I mean, the whole nine, right? <laughs> um, so my love affair with Mickey has was, has been very long running. So all that part about my Mickey was not, I didn't have to act too too much for that because I, I've loved Mickey forever. I mean, we had, um, you know, Disney little stuffed animals and we had a Mickey Mouse telephone. We had all kinds of things like that growing up. So for sure it was. And, and I think that just the fact that it is such a family friendly, however your family is identified, it really reinforces togetherness. And that's my family. We didn't watch a lot of TV growing up. We were, we were sort of that sit around the table and eat dinner. And then after you finish eating, you're talking and then you pick it what the leftovers are because you've sat there for so long. So 
we did a lot of stuff together that was just experiential and it wasn't necessarily traveling to um, destinations, but definitely Disney was on the map for me. Um, I just always loved, you know, I loved Minnie Mouse. I, I had, uh, my sisters and I have stuffed animals, um, and they all had voices, names. We have storylines that we still do to this day. So no one really calls me Stacy in my family. They call me all my different nicknames. And so growing up, I mean, we always had voices. And so I remember watching the times when I did watch some cartoons or watch movies. I remember thinking like, oh, and listening to the voices and appreciating that. I don't know that I, at a very young age, knew that, oh, that's a human being. Um, I thought, oh, that mouse does talk or that cat does talk. But I always appreciated how they just drew me in to the story and the adventure that they were going on. So when I did go there in 2005, it was really so incredible because I was obviously had a job to do, but I was literally in the top seven must-sees every single second of that was a first time for me. That's amazing. I, I love that. You're right. It definitely, I mean, Disney is all about family and instilling family values. And it sounds like your family definitely, um, you know, had a lot of those values in place. And I, I definitely admire that for sure. It was very similar with my family growing up too. And my sister and I would definitely perform more as kids. Not so much anymore. I feel like we lost that side of us, but um, that's that's great that you you had that relationship with your sisters and the rest of your family as well. So I, I know that you obviously ended up doing Must Two Disney, but we kind of touched on briefly the fact, which I feel like is a is a pretty huge accomplishment. So the fact that you graduated from Juilliard with a BFA in um, in dance. So oh, I thought was... you were going to say that I was Mickey for Halloween. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. I'll, I'll go on the ride with you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's totally another, another question. Um, <laughs> we'll skip on that one for now. Okay. Um, so were you interested in, or I should ask it a different way. What were your initial career aspirations? Were you looking to, was it, was were you looking to perform roller skating full time or, cause I know you were a championship uh, roller skater or what, was the intention of going into Juilliard to get a BFA in dance? Well, roller skating, as much as it's fun, and I love sparkles and rhinestones, and I love the costumes, I knew that that was not a career, and I knew I didn't want to be a coach. So that was just a cool, great hobby that ended up giving me some fun hardware, you know, and, and made great friends and had that. As much as I love the artistry of it, I love the competition of it. I love that there is a goal and you have to practice and you have to work and you have those couple of minutes after a year of training at nationals, you only have a couple of minutes and that's it. You get one chance. So I definitely liked that aspect of it. And even when I'm hosting on camera or when I'm doing voiceover, I always have in the back of my mind, I know that I'm going to have to do it more than once or twice or 10 times. But in my mind, I always am like, I'm going to nail it every single take as if I only get one chance. So I think that the skater mentality in me definitely still fuels a lot of what I do on camera or in voice because, um, you know, you work hard and you do all that and you train and you and then, you know, if you go in with the, well, I'll just hope it works. It's like, nope, you got to make it work every single time. So, I mean, I 
I knew from a young age I, that I really wanted to dance. I loved it. I was in a professional ballet company by the time I was in high school, and I was treated not like a kid. I was with the company dancers. They were older than I was, but I was given great roles, and the expectation was not diminished because I was young. Um, so once I kind of hit that stride, I thought, you know, I really, I kind of thought, okay, what's the best and hardest possible place that I could do this on the next level. Because again, I, as I said earlier, I knew my parents and I had a, an agreement that I was going to put something between my ears that gave me at least a piece of paper that could be usable if I decide to change my mind or if I have a career ending injury. So I said, okay, Juilliard, that's it. So with a lot of how I approach my life, I kind of feel like until I get what I want or someone puts out a restraining order on me, I just, <laughs> you know, I do, I just persevere as long as I have breath in my body. So I decided, I think I was probably late junior high school, early high school. And I was, I just thought, oh yeah, Juilliard, that's where I'm going next. And it wasn't, I hope I get to go. I wonder if they'll, I just was like, no, I'm, oh, that's where I'm going. And so it didn't really occur to me, which is probably a blessing that I didn't understand fully the process of you apply, you audition, this crazy audition process, and then you maybe aren't going to be accepted. That never really fully computed in my brain. So I just thought, oh, yeah, I jumped through that hoop and then that hoop and then that hoop and then boom, I start Juilliard in September. So that was really my intention. And I did apply to other schools and had some backups, but I never sort of thought that it, I wouldn't get to go. It just never occurred to me. And so I think when you play that game of what would you do if you didn't do what you do, I, I think I probably would have pursued medicine, but, um, cause I love healing people. I love helping people, but I just knew in my core that the, the, the yearning for performing was stronger. And so I didn't want to deny that because I thought, well, maybe I wouldn't be a great doctor if I felt conflicted because my heart was somewhere else. So I thought, well, let me just go for this. And so I got accepted and it didn't really occur to me during the time that I was there. I mean, I knew that it was a special opportunity, but I didn't realize that because at Juilliard, you're always you, you you every class, every rehearsal, every everything, you're always on watch because at any moment they could say, "Thank you, no, this isn't working out for you," according to us. So I knew that I had to keep my chops and and be at a certain level in order to stay there. So it wasn't really until after I graduated after four years that I, when people would say, "Oh my gosh, you went to Juilliard," "Oh my gosh," that I kind of went. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I guess that was a thing. I guess that really was pretty cool that I got to go and I actually got to graduate. So it's something that like with any art form, whether it's painting, writing, dance, theater, music, whether you pursue it professionally or not, the discipline and the skills and the qualities and the character traits that you have to possess in order to be accomplished at it our life skills, you know, time management, motivation, perseverance, show must go on. Those are all things that you use in your life. So when I started teaching, I realized that some of my students went on to perform professionally and do it professionally, but a lot of them that aren't even now 
some of them are lawyers and and they say everything I learned from my dance background has fueled me and helped me in my life to succeed in what I do now. So it's not for nothing. So I think I like people think, well, I won't even try because if I can't do it professionally, you know, I think that if you sort of cut yourself off at the knees before you even try something, I think the regret of not even trying is going to be far too painful and expensive than if you try it and go, eh, it's not working out or you hit too many roadblocks and, and make a turn. Yeah, I find that that's common thread with any profession for that matter. If you want something, if you have that goal or that vision in mind, you think to yourself, this is what I want to do, or at least this is what I want to try to do and accomplish, that if you have the the tenacity and the focus, and I love that skater analogy you use of in, in skating, you have to nail it on the first shot. It's that live performance that you have to get right. It's not, if I don't do well now, I can try again the next time. And that can be true in a lot of cases, but going in with the mentality, I'm going to go in and do my best and just nail it in the first shot is a great way to succeed in life. And it sounds like you've been doing that since you were really young when no surprise for where you are now. Thank you. I mean, I've been trying because, you know, listen, we all, I think, at the end of the day are doing the best we can. And I think, I think that is enough. And I think that you can't control so many different aspects of whatever your career is, but the things that you can do, be the master of it, be amazing at it, be confident with it and know that you are enough and fully show up into it so that you don't have the regret. And, and just trying is a win. It doesn't always maybe go the way you think it's going to go, but it's going to go some way. And it may even go in an even better way than you could have anticipated. But you won't know that until you at least show up and say, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a try. I mean, leap in the net will appear is one of my favorite mantras. That's a great, (laughs) great quote to to go by. Um, So let's talk about Disney a bit. How did the gig with Walt Disney World even present itself? Was it something that sort of, I don't want to say landed at your feet, but was it something that was brought to your attention or was it something that you were interested in? How did that whole process begin for you? At the time, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was doing a lot of on-camera commercials and theater and TV film stuff. And so my agent there said, you need to go from Charlotte to Atlanta. That was like every week I would drive from Charlotte to Atlanta and back and forth in the same day, multiple times a week for auditions and sometimes jobs. And so it was like an eight hour round trip adventure. A lot of, as my mother would say, windshield time with yourself. So (laughs) you get to reflect on yourself. But anyway, I went there for a, uh, an audition and actually funny enough, my mom was visiting and she was with me. So I got to visit with her, but we went and I did this infomercial hosting audition or something. And, and the casting director said, Hey, we've got this thing for Disney world for tomorrow. So let me put you on tape today for it. So you don't have to come back tomorrow. I said, okay. So she gives me the copy and and she said, you know, best you can memorize it in a short time would be great instead of being, having your face on the paper, reading the words. So it was all about summit plummet, as we know, the famous summit plummet. Right. And, so I did it. And then lo and behold, a couple of days later, they said, well, you have a call back. You need to come back. So I went back and, um, and 
it was cool because I met the director at that point of the first of the top seven must sees and he was there. And, and then I had to do more different, more copies, some of the same and new stuff. And unbeknownst to me until later, they had been doing a national search and trying to find someone for the new campaign. And it came down to me and someone I believe in LA and then everything got very, very rushed because they were behind schedule. And so they said, we need to cast this really quickly and start filming. So I happily got the gig. And in addition to it being my first trip to Walt Disney world, it was my very first of that kind of hosting on camera as well. So there was a lot of new, a lot of new going on for me. And so I had, about a week, maybe I think it was a little less than a week to learn this 25 pages of script Wow! because everything really needs to be word perfect because some of the stuff is improvised. And as the time has gone on, they'll do what they call B roll and they'll send me into an area and say, okay, do stuff. And so I do stuff and say stuff. And some of that makes it in the show. Some of it doesn't, but then there's a lot of it that's absolutely word perfect has to be done exactly how it's written. So I don't think I have a photographic memory, but I'm really good if I can see stuff visually, like if I can see it on a paper, then I can kind of burn it into my brain. And then as I'm talking, I'm sort of seeing the paper in my mind. Um, So I just had to cram it into my brain. And I get on the plane and I'm studying, 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 and, and I get there and we started in World Showcase. I'll never forget it. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm here. And do they know that I don't know what I'm doing? I mean, it, was just, it was one of those, like, are they going to find out that I actually am not this seasoned host? And, <laughs> but it was, it was really cool because, uh, you know, it's a big crew. And while I'm the only one that you see on camera, let me tell you, it takes a very beautiful, sizable village to create all the magic that everyone sees. Oh, yeah. So I am not, I am not doing this alone by any means. They made me. They make me sound, look, and act really great. What everyone's efforts are, and so, um, so yeah, it was. It was a very fast process. Once I hit that first audition, to the callback, to getting on the plane, to starting to film. We I, the first time I filmed, I was there for. Gosh, I was there for like a good week. I think it was. Um, there was a lot to film, and so. It's just been. Like every time I, I kind of look at it as sort of the first time, because when I get there, I always watch it to make sure I'm still me <laughs> and that I can match myself because there's still in current day of must do Disney. I mean, there's still footage in there from back way back. So it's kind of fun to see how it's uh, it's still working. Did I answer your question? You did answer my question, which is all about the uh, the audition process and how that even came to be. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was like, course. I think I did. Did I? Regardless, okay. it was a great story, but you did answer my question. So thank you for that. Um, so I, I want to touch on the fact that you had one week to prepare. And the fact that you had to learn 25 pages of script in itself is an accomplishment. And of course, it helps that you have a great memory because that makes life a little bit easier. But more than that, it's not just reading a script, especially being on camera. It's true with voice acting too, but even more so on camera, you're really acting a part. So how did you go about not having been to Walt Disney World before getting this script, getting this job, and then in essentially a week preparing for the the role as host? 
Well, once I got over the initial, do they know I'm a fraud? (laughs) I said, okay, this is happening. Clearly they saw something and know more about me than I know. So I'm going to go with it and say, thank you for the belief. And I, you know, I just, I just really approached it as this is my, my job is to be a guide for everyone to maybe try something they haven't tried to make sure that I make them feel excited, safe, happy, um, interested. And so, you know, the show is not, I have no ear prompter or teleprompter. And so when I'm looking in the camera, I'm looking into the lens and I really try to imagine that I'm talking to each one of you, that, that I'm talking to somebody and not a piece of glass. And so I kind of feel like as much as I'm the only person on the screen, you know, except with the characters and things like that, but I'm the one that's talking all the time, that it's really a conversation between myself and you guys. So it was, it was cool because definitely my dance background, having the physicality, confidence, having the stamina, because, you know, you're jogging around in four-inch wedge sandals and you're up and down and you're shooting 10-hour days and you're doing that day after day after day and you can't look in the morning, you can't look tired and weary by the end. You have to be at that same level. So definitely the physical as a dancer, the, that, that was absolutely, you know, a, a huge part of me being able to physically do it. And then mentally, I just really, first of all, I felt so fortunate to be able to have this opportunity. So I was like, you know what, just enjoy it, believe in yourself and realize that you are a part of something so much bigger. This is not about me. This is about you guys and about celebrating the innovations of so many other people. So I didn't really take it from the, Oh, look at me. I've got my own show and my own channel. (laughs) I didn't look at it like that. I didn't look at it like that. And I still don't because I am one little speck in the process of this whole beautiful endeavor. And shame on me if I get too excited about myself in that way and, and think that I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's going to halt without me. It's not, I'm a piece of it and it's been amazing to be a part of it, but it is certainly not all about me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a great way to think about it too. And the fact that you, I, I feel like the fact that you thought about it as not talking to, you know, a piece of glass, but talking to an individual definitely comes through. And the other thing that comes through as I was you know, doing some more research about you and listening to interviews and then learn the fact that you had done dance. I think about the scenes where you are kind of dancing around at the parks, although not professionally and putting on that sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, rehearsed routine. You are bringing that side of you into the Disney parks and uh, as you're dancing around. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of kicking going on, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, which actually begs the question, so how much of that quote-unquote character is the real Stacy? Because it definitely, uh, you know, and just talking to you one-on-one, I think those listening can hear that there's a little bit of a difference in energy. Um, so is the is the, the must-do Disney top seven must-sees, is that sort of just an energized, amplified version of yourself, or were there other characteristics that you tried to throw into the role? Uh, 100%. I mean, I I am that girl. It's not 
me playing that girl definitely the energy level, the pitch of my voice. I mean, because now with voiceover work, I am not, I'm not always in this place right up here, you know, right. Sometimes I have to go deeper. I have to ground my, my tone, but definitely the, the excitement, the vivaciousness, the positivity that is 100% me. I mean, I live my, I try to live my life in a place of abundance and not lack. And, you know, if I'm on fire, at least I'm warm. You know, I try <laughs> to find the positive aspects because my worst day, while I'm allowed to feel like it's my worst day, is somebody's dream day. So I try to keep perspective about what really deserves to have a lot of emotion. But as far as the show goes, I mean, that excitement and that energy is not put on. But I do sometimes have to make adjustments because in my life and in my work, sometimes I need to be a little more mature or a little less. I don't scream maybe as much in my daily life, although I have been known to scream in the grocery store when I find <laughs> amazing watermelon or cherries or something. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's really, I mean, it is me. It is me. It's not like if you met me, I'd be like, Hey, what's up, Matt? Whatever. <laughs> like, that's not who I am. You know, that's not who I am. Those uh, would be characters for sure. Right. Oh, that's great. That, it definitely sounds that way too. Um, so you touched on the fact that, or we talked about it a, a couple, uh, for a minute or so, the fact that you, you know, this was your first trip and to Disney and you were in World Showcase first. But I also know that on the show, not only are you walking around the parks, but there are many scenes where you're actually riding the attractions. And I'm really curious, since this was your first trip, when they're showing you, for instance, on Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith, did they just say like, hey, sit in this limo car and let's see what your reaction is? Or did they let you run through it a couple of times before actually filming nope it, because the thing <laughs> about it is that we are on such a tight schedule and so i was not i i had marks to hit and i had time frames to hit because if we missed if we took too long because i didn't know my words or or i was like i don't want to ride that then it messed up the entire day which messed up the entire however long i was going to be there so Sometimes um, the ride will have what they call a lipstick camera, and it looks like a really long tube of lipstick that's mounted. And they do a lot of rigging on, on the attractions before I get in them. Right. And so there's usually a camera right there. So when you see me kind of talking to you in that way, I'm looking into there's a little camera right there. And so sometimes I have actual dialogue monologue that I need to say. And then sometimes I just need to riff and give them possible things that they can use within the scope of what would work for that particular span of, of, of the, of the show, that segment. So sometimes they would, they would, I would usually get to ride things like that. I rode three or four times because we wanted to get different options 
And that was just a, oh, I was in heaven. I'm like, <laughs> get, put me on again. So, but every time I ride something, there is a camera rolling or there is, you know, my, my microphone is working, you know, everything is being captured. So there isn't just let's stroll through and just enjoy the parks. I'm on the clock. I mean, it's a lovely way to quote work, but I'm on the clock whenever we're in the park. And even if you see me running around, in uh, a little shop or a kiosk, I'm doing something for it, for the show. So, um, so yeah, there was always, everything is literally calculated down to the minute. And when we were in Epcot and the monorail, the monorail has to go behind me. If I don't nail that, we may not have time to wait 20 minutes or however long for it to come back around. So some things, that's where that skater thing comes in handy because I'm like, I probably will do it more than once, but sometimes I do it five, 10 times, depending on what they need. I'll do whatever they need, however many times, but I would rather it be because they need it and not because, Oh geez, she blew it. Look at, Oh, she, she blew it again. So definitely there's no just sort of strolling through and enjoying the, enjoying the attractions just for fun. It's like, we're, we have a mission every time I go through the cycle. Absolutely. I don't want to ask your favorite because I feel like that's hard. And it's hard to remember what your favorite would have even been from, you know, almost 15 years ago. But do you have a, a particular moment or attraction or event from that week that stands out to you as perhaps the most memorable or unique? Well, the first time I, st- I stayed there, they, they put me at the Grand Floridian. Well, that's nice. <laughs> right? Thank you. I'll take that gig. So, I know, right? And check. Thank you. Uh, walking into the lobby the very first time. And I've stayed there a couple of times since then. But the very first time, I literally went, <gasps> because it was just, it felt like I had gone to a different world. Not to be cheesy, but it yeah. really, I felt like I was somewhere else. And then obviously the first time, we were at world showcase and I'm standing there and the hair and makeup is done and the, I'm waiting on a couple of things. And I'm just looking out over all of that. I just remember thinking this is so special and the beautiful flowers and the water and just, it was incredible. And we started filming a little before it was even open. So it was just there. So it was pretty spectacular. And then every single time when we start at magic kingdom and many times we start before the sun comes up, And you stand there and you look at the castle and you just, you can just hear the little creatures and it's just quiet and still. And then the sun is coming up. It's, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. Like I, that never gets old for me. Um, and, and obviously, I mean, I love, uh, I love rock and roller coasters. We were talking about Expedition Everest. I mean, anything that takes me up, down, backwards, sideways, I'm in. I'm I'm your girl. Summit Plummet even was ridiculously fun. I did that like three times in a row. <laughs> I had to like, <laughs> I had to like stuff my lungs back in my body because I would scream like I was being, it was like, they didn't even need to mic that. I was like, <laughs> but that was pretty that was pretty crazy fun. That's awesome. Yeah, they have the mic way out in the distance. Who's that lady screaming at the top of some exactly. of <laughs> I know. And I remember I I, I, cr- I climb up there and I'm walking and talking and filming as we go up. And then I sit down and the nice 
the nice young man who was there to facilitate my departure from the top. I said, so yeah. So like, where, you know, what do we do now? Like he goes, yeah, just sit there. I'm like, okay. And I'm waiting for, you know, helmets or I don't know something. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, just crush your ankles, crush your arms and just, just lie back. I'm like, what? What? (laughs) Like, and I remember, and I, if you remember from the top seven, when I'm like, you can't even see your feet. Like yeah. that was legit. Cause I was like, I looked down and I'm like, oh my goodness, we are up here. And I just thought, okay. And I remember slowly lying back, abs engaged and just watching the sky. And then it was like, oh my goodness. And <laughs> it's then it's over. Exhilarating. And it's just the craziest, what, like four seconds of your life. Yeah, it goes so fast. I think it's basically the same as the the rock and roller coaster launch. It's just a couple of seconds and you're you're gone. I mean, that launch, if I could like do that in a car every day in LA traffic, that would make me (laughs) so happy. I would love that. That'd be a miracle for many reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. Um, Now, did you get to actually like vacation at all while you were there? Or did you just go down to shoot and wrap up the week with that tight schedule and go home? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, uh, you know, every day and sometimes we would shoot one park and then we would we would and some days we would have to be in multiple parks the way the schedule worked. So we were cruising around and going everywhere. And then at the end of the day, I would go back to my my room and I would get on point for the next day and just rest and just get really hydrated and ready to go again because you know it's early days it's like they sometimes pick you up at 4 35 5 30 in the morning um and you're on the clock for a good 8 10 10 hours yeah it's it's like park hopping on steroids you're just going and going and going and going and going yeah yeah Yeah. it's it was it was great and i was so excited when I got to finally see like how it all came together and just, you know, the camera operator, he's an amazing guy. Poor guy is like so tall and I'm so not tall, even with the shoes. So, you know, he had to follow me and be crouching around with me. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so (laughs) sorry. But it was just really, um, every day was literally like a new adventure because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And even when I go back since then, there's always just a layer of different because I mean, as any day there, well, Disney World is, it's never the same. And so, and and now obviously that I've been around for a couple minutes, people notice us when we're in the parks filming. So it's just lovely when people will, uh, will come up and and say, you know, we got engaged here and, and now we have our first baby and you were, you know, you were here with us through all of that. And my baby's now graduating from high school. And, you know, so it's just neat to be to 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 encounter people and obviously with social media i get to hear from people and so um the top 7 went on channel and 55 of 05 so i call it my disney anniversary so every may 5th we all kind of celebrate and reminisce about where everyone was and what we were doing and just it's just i mean how stinking lucky am i that i get to still be here and be a part of it and people aren't I mean, there are certainly people that are like, oh, she's so annoying. and ugh. But they still memorize the show. So I must not be that annoying if you because you got to watch it a lot. To if memorize. they don't turn it off, it's it's not annoying. <laughs> exactly. But my, my I focus on all the people that that 
feel excited about it and try Summit Plummet or try something that they wouldn't normally do. They wouldn't go on Soarin' or whatever um, because they're like, oh, well, you made it look fun and you seem to like it, so I'll try it. So I, I always like when people say they got brave for a few minutes to try something. That is really rewarding. I'm going to put on my Disney historian hat for a second when you brought up oh. Soren because it's I interesting. Know. Yeah, when you brought up 5505, that's actually the day that Soren opened at Epcot. So <laughs> your Pretty. debut aligned with Soren. Ah, right? And I still can smell the oranges. I know. When you, I can. I, I was like, oh, come on. And I hadn't done a lot of that kind of virtual stuff. And I remember thinking that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm smelling oranges over the Grove. It was amazing. I mean, it was just and you think obviously like technology is how much it's grown even since then. But even now, I mean, there's just something beautiful and classic about that, that it's just it's so simple yet so perfect you know it's just it's not too much and it's not too little it just it was so neat swinging your feet and yeah it's really cool yeah it truly is a classic um that you have obviously gone back and recorded a few times about how often do, does disney actually call you back to uh to record some I, I know you do some voiceover work from la but how often do they call you back to actually go back to disney world to record new on-camera segments it kind of depends. I mean, in the first uh, eight, nine years, I was going back at least once, sometimes twice a year. And then there was a couple years where it was a little slower and I was doing more voiceover from here. So I just, they phone patched with me through the headphones and, and I, I talked about what we needed to, and then that was it. So I don't know. I mean, I'm still, I still have not experienced some of the newer stuff. So I'm really hoping and excited i'm very available for when they uh <laughs> when they want to get that going i mean that's going to be that's almost going to feel like another first time for me because it's been a little while since i've been back so everyone's been asking me and i wish i could tell you i don't i don't have anything i'm not keeping a secret uh i don't know when i'll go back again but when they want me i'll be there they definitely have to call you back to do to do the the world of Avatar and Star Wars yes. Galaxy's Edge, and I do yes. hope they capture your your first time moments because that's one of the things I love when people go to those two lands. It is truly above and beyond anything else they've ever done. And yes, you'll love it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, and when I was doing all the part with the Beast and you know all the new cast, I mean that for me and just the gargoyles. I mean, I just I love the details. Um, the, there's just, I mean, no one does details better than Disney because they really know how to take a concept and take it all the way through because they don't spare one little scent, flower, anything. Everything is exactly how it's supposed to be. It's really, it's a lovely metaphor for, for life, you know, like don't skimp over those details, really pay attention because that's really where the brilliances absolutely that's a, a great point um so just a couple questions left for you and this is actually not disney related but okay. I, I could chat disney with you all day but we don't have the time Matt, for that don't <laughs> <run>. don't <laughs> so obviously 
although you still you've had this this gig at Disney for you know almost 15 years now you have gone on to do so many other things and one of the things that I love that you do is you have this really wildly successful literally award-winning show you host with Chuck Duran called VO Buzz Weekly I have to admit I have not seen every episode but I am hooked a little bit <laughs> um oh, thank you there are over 320 so I'm a not... lot. <laughs> yeah so it's okay. <laughs> but I did actually today, because uh, I know it just came out, I think, yesterday, finally caught up on the third installment of the oh, episode with the Animaniacs cast, Rob Paulson, Jess Harnell, Tress McNeil. Incredible three-part interview. Um, Thank you. Probably the one of the few times I'm going to plug something not Disney-related on the show. You all need to go see it. <laughs> it was fun. And that was their first one that they have done together since the announcement of the reboot of Animaniacs on Hulu, which is coming in 2020. So excited for that. So excited. And you know what? I have to say, as they had never, they hadn't done any interviews yet. They had just announced it. And then they had, we had had it planned and they said, absolutely. So we were so honored that they sat down with us. And plus, I mean, they're friends. And so it's really nice to get to celebrate that. And also the fact that Steven Spielberg was adamant about, they have to be Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. There is no no recasting. And I love that in in times when, not just in entertainment, but in other industries where there isn't loyalty, there isn't celebration of people who have literally put iconic things into motion, the fact that they said, absolutely, they are the ones, and Maurice LaMarche and Pinky and the Brain, you know, that, that they will be those characters and of as they should be because i mean these guys are are the real deal they're incredible and they're still creating amazing work so just because they've been around for a minute does not mean that they should be just thrown aside so i am so excited and we were so happy to get to converse with them and if you guys as you saw and if people watch it's it's we're talking about a lot of different stuff it's not just uh, about Animaniacs, you really get a sense of who they are and their their stories and their struggles and how they've overcome them. And now Rob has his great new book that's out called Voice Lessons. And uh, it, there's just a lot of cool stuff in the interview. And, and it's, you know, so much fun when you put any of any of them together. It's always it's always a, a hoot. You never you never can't not have a great time with them. So thanks for for watching. It was really fun. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be going back and looking at, at even more now at this point. But how did this show even come to life? Well, Chuck and I, Chuck Duran is the, and I'll brag about him because I can. Because, Absolutely. You know, he, he doesn't like to brag about himself, but he is literally the quintessential producer, director for voiceover demos for the industry. And he has clients from all over the world that come and he's he's amazing he's an incredible musician but he's also he's been doing this for decades and he's literally the best of the best and so he and i wanted to do something creatively together and i of course love hosting and i was spoiled with disney because it's such the perfect passion kind of project and i was getting other things as a host but honestly i got to a point where i was being offered things that just did not feel right to me. And I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to look like that. I just, it just wasn't my jam. And so I said to Chuck, I said, you know, I'd love to do something that inspires people and entertains them, but also put something good into the world that helps not just people interested in entertainment, but just kind of bringing 
successful people together to talk about their patterns and behaviors. And, and so we said, well, what about like a talk show? And there were some other podcasts and stuff, but not one that really kind of was going to go in the direction we wanted to go into. And so we said, well, let's just try. And that was back in January, 2012. We posted our first episode with actually with Jess Harnell and, um, He's he and Chuck are our bandmates. They created a band called Rock Sugar together. So they've been brothers since they were kids. And he's my chosen brother. Uh, and so we said, well, of course, we'll launch it with you, because if it's a total train wreck, at least we're keeping it with somebody who's not going to walk off set. So <laughs> right. we uh, just decided that we wanted to do something that really was going to most of all inspire people and and inform them to be fearless to do what they need to do in their life and that was yeah back in 2012 in in january of 2020 we're going to start our ninth season and we've done i think we're up to like a hundred like 326 episodes now and we've done a lot of other episodes where we show the process of making demos with some of the veteran voice actors who are reinventing themselves and so there's a lot of different varied content on our youtube channel um vo buzz weekly and then we have an app and we have an audio version on itunes so if you're driving you can listen to it and watch it later but um we just really most importantly wanted to create something that we were both really proud of that we could put out into the world. And, you know, as much as I love to perform, I also love to produce. I have that gene in me as well. Um, I really like to create things. And so thankfully we live in a time when you don't have to have the perfect budget as you know, I mean, you've got, you're doing your thing amazingly well. And so it's like, you don't have to wait for every single piece to be perfect because we have technology and the means where you can just try it and get started and do it and see where it takes you. So um, I'm grateful for that. We didn't need to have a million dollar budget to do it. We didn't need a television network. And now we have a global audience. We have like 85 countries that are watching us and loving it. And we had a, a viewer from Kenya and Ghana the other day wrote us and said, thank you so much. There's not really a voiceover community here, but we're able to get in it and figure out how we're going to do it because of the videos and listening to who you interview and, and, you know, the expertise that we bring to the table. So it's really cool that you're giving people permission to pursue a life that they have dreamt of. So it's, I, I'm honored to, to share that. And, and it means a lot that people, that it's resonating with them and it's helping them means the world to us. Yeah, I, I get uh, similar sentiments and from people from all over the world. I'm always amazed when I get in, uh, an email or a message from somebody in Japan or I don't think I've gotten Kenya yet, but all these different mm -hmm. countries, Brazil, I get a lot from Brazil or Argentina. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, one thing that really resonates with me is although we're, of course, talking about different things, the idea of wanting to you know, enter, entertain and inform and inspire people and just put something good in the world is essentially what I started this podcast for as well. And yeah. I think what maybe draws me to View a Buzz Weekly, I actually end up, I have a, I commute three hours a day, 90 minutes each way. And so yeah. podcasting has become... Uh, well, podcasting, I enjoy podcasting as a podcaster, but also as a as a listener, I really enjoy podcasts. So I will absolutely, I actually, um, I've been watching on YouTube and then just discovered it on 
on the Apple Podcast today, so I subscribed. I'll be listening first thing tomorrow on my commute in and commute home, <laughs> trying to catch oh, up with the other 300 you. episodes. Oh my goodness! Well, you'll you'll plow through those in no time with a three-hour commute. <laughs> I know it's sad. That's, that's, that's commitment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's a a great metaphor for just in general. I mean, if you're inspired by something, if you feel this this little tickle that just won't go away to do something or try something could be ballroom dance classes or cooking or just you know just do it just try it because you just you have nothing to lose other than what a few dollars or a little bit of time because you just you just don't know what's gonna happen or who you're going to inspire i mean some of the people we've had on the show have had some really trying difficult times and we don't we don't try to go TMZ and pry, but a lot of times people will just welcome, they'll just offer it because they say, I feel comfortable and I feel like I need to share this. And they'll share if they're, maybe they've recovered from an addiction or fear of performing or whatever it is that they just feel like sharing. And we, we go on the ride with them because if that's what they really feel like they need to put out there, then we support that. So I know for a fact that so many people and they write to us and say, I don't even know who this person is. I don't want an agent. I don't ever watch that cartoon or, but just hearing that story of inspired me to not give up or inspired me to dig in a little deeper in my own, in my own life and my own work. So I think that, you know, we're all in this together and we all have a universal human experience to no matter where we're from or how we grew up or who we have around us or not. So I think the more that we can feel empowered to share our experiences with each other from a place of service, a place of love, I think that, it's really, it's really special. And so I, we take it really seriously who we put in our chairs because, um, we feel accountable to what we're putting out there as I know you do, Matt. So, you know, we, there may be people that are like, Oh, you should have this, or this person should be on the show. And, and we just really feel very protective of it. We call it our digital baby because we feel like whatever we put out there is going to impact somebody. And we want to do it in a way that is, positive and responsible. And we always tell the truth. Sometimes it's a hard truth. And sometimes it's maybe not what someone wants to hear, but we we're never cruel about it, but we feel like we're not doing anyone any favors by just talking about, Oh, who's your favorite character? It's like, okay, that's nice. And that's an interesting side bit, but we kind of feel like people like our viewers are in the, in the studio with us in the conversation. So we try to ask things that we think that they're going to want to know and, and need to hear about. That's wonderful. It's really amazing. Um, <clears throat> and I love that you have that, uh, that affinity and passion for, for doing this as well. I'm going to definitely direct people to, uh, to go there, to listen in, especially if they're interested in performing arts. But my last question for you is if someone is interested in voice acting or performing arts, and we've talked about a few things, but what's the one message you would want to resonate with anyone or to impart upon those who are listening, who might be interested in going into performing arts as a future career? I think definitely be aware that it is a business. It's not just reading. It's not just having a nice voice. It's, it's like what we talked before we started rolling about, like, I love to cook and bake. I love it. It's my passion, but I'm not going to open a restaurant or a bakery because I know what it would take to do that. And while I love throwing great dinner parties and cooking every day, 
I'm not going to do what it needs to do to, to be successful in a commercial sense. So be aware that it is a business. You need to treat it like a business and, and take acting classes, do improv classes, start reading out loud, read for half an hour out loud. And if after five minutes you're over it, it might not be for you because it's more than just the fun and the crazy voices if you're interested in animation or games or anime. Um, it really is storytelling at, it, at its most pure form because you can't wait for someone to look at your face and wink at them or make a, a, silly, a silly expression because the microphone can't see that. But the microphone can pick up everything else. And so the challenge of it, I think you need to fall in love with because not everything's going to be easy getting started. So you have to really enjoy the process of learning the craft, creating your business model, um, loving to audition, treating the auditions like the job. The job is the, is the frosting, but really the audition is, is, is where the, your, your job is to audition. Um, and so just the uncertainty and, and being, having a high tolerance for uncertainty, I think will be helpful because it's not no day. Every single day of my life is different. There are very few days that are exactly the same. And so, um, I think just be aware of what it is you're getting into and, and, you know, there's ways to do it that. You don't have to do it as a career, just like people that do community theater work every single day. It doesn't mean they're trying to make it into the next Brad Pitt movie. So um, there's different ways to do it and just realize that the level of effort and passion you put into it is commensurate with what you're going to get back from it. Really wonderful advice and definitely eventually. makes sense. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, eventually. It's not uh, it's not quick easy money. It's not an overnight success. You might hit something out of the gate, but to really have a longevity in it, you have to have more than just a great sounding voice. Tenacity and focus going Absolutely. after what you want. It's definitely yeah. true. So, Stacy, besides VO Buzz Weekly, which I will absolutely be plugging in the show notes, where else can people go to follow you? Well, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Stacy J. Aswad. VO Buzz Weekly is on Instagram as well. I'm on Facebook. It's host Stacy J. Aswad is my page there. Um, Twitter at Stacy J. Aswad. My website, I try to update with some fun things here and there. Uh, but usually if you find me one place, you'll get me. You'll get me another place. Perfect. Well, like I said, I'll, I'll definitely plug all that into the show notes and as i tease out the episode on all social media platforms i'll be sure to include the links to all that so stacy thank you so very much for chatting with me and sharing your stories and advice and wisdom it's really been an honor and a, a pleasure to have you on the show thank you it's been truly a pleasure for me matt and congratulations on all your success and keep doing it you're you're awesome and thank, thank you everyone for listening happy yeah. holidays happy holidays <laughs> And with that, we close out episode 61 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a special thank you once again to Stacy for coming on to Imagineer podcast to talk more about her experiences. And I want to encourage all of you to definitely visit her website, stacyjazwad.com, and also be sure to take a listen to or to watch, depending on if you're 
listening to the podcast or watching the web series, VO Buzz Weekly, which again, she co-hosts with Chuck Duran. I have been, as I mentioned, sort of binging this podcast as much as I can. And I have found, even though I'm not in the voice acting career path, I really do appreciate and enjoy the episodes that Chuck and Stacy have to offer. So definitely be sure to head over to VO Buzz Weekly and take a look at some of the web shows they have produced. But I, of course, want to turn the conversation over to you. Which of Stacy's many famous lines or scenes from Must Do Disney do you love the most? And as Stacy mentioned, a lot of it is scripted, but some of it is ad-libbed as she records B-roll around the Walt Disney World Resort. And I definitely, definitely want to know what your favorite line or scene is from that show. And you can send me your feedback and answers in so many different ways. You can either send me an email at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also call our listener voicemail, which is 516-406-8376 in case you would like to leave me a message that I can play on a future episode of Imagineer Podcast. And of course, you can follow and send your feedback through all of our social media channels, which include Facebook and Instagram at Imagineer Podcast. You can also converse with other Disney fans at our Imagination, the Imagineer Podcast Disney fan community, which is our Facebook group. If you type that search into your search browser, you will find the results or go to facebook.com slash Imagineer Podcast. Click on the groups tab and that will take you over to our Imagination. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at Imagineer News or follow me on LinkedIn or TikTok at Imagineer Podcast. I know there are so many places that you can follow Imagineer Podcast. Also, if you don't already subscribe to the show, please be sure to hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, no matter your favorite podcast app, hitting the subscribe button, make sure you are the first person to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you would take 30 seconds, one minute, however long it takes to leave us a rating and a review in the iTunes store, that does so much to help our podcast community. We now have about 200 five-star reviews on iTunes, and I'm so very, very thankful to all of you for making us one of the highest rated podcasts on Apple Podcasts, especially specifically in regards to Disney-related podcasts. So thank you all so very much. It encourages me and pushes me even harder to make this show an even better place for you. Speaking of which, if there is ever anything I can do to make this podcast community or this show better, please do feel free to, again, reach out to me through social media in a direct message. I do read and respond to every direct message I get, or you can send me an email. Same story. I read and respond to every single email. If there's an episode you would love to hear on the show or anything else that I can do to make this community better for you. And perhaps one of the best things you can do for Imagineer Podcast is to share it out with your friends, whether you share out your favorite episode, perhaps it's this episode with Stacey J. Aswad, or another episode of the show, or if we share out your favorite social media posts, no matter what you do to share out the show, it really does so very much to help our podcast community continue to grow. And if you'd like to take your love of Imagineer Podcast to the next level, be sure to head to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast, where you can learn more about the 
Imagineer Society, which essentially you go to help support the show and in return get some exclusive perks and benefits, including early access to every podcast episode, bonus podcast episodes just for the Imagineer Society, monthly video calls with me, and other special benefits as well. So head to patreon.com slash Podcast to learn more about that. And be sure while you're doing that to also visit our partners over at The Kingdom Insider. You can find Christy over at thekingdominsider.com and The Kingdom Insider on all social media channels. And head over to Academy Travel if you're interested in planning a trip to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Aulani, any of the Disney destinations around the world. Academy Travel has been helping plan Disney vacations and other vacations for that matter for the last 23 years and they are diamond earmarked making them one of the top Disney travel agencies in the world so definitely be sure to head to academytravel.com or click on one of the links in the show notes below to request a free quote it's literally all free to you and they can even help to save you money on your future trip to Disney. Lastly, and most importantly, remember as always to always go after your dreams, no matter what they are, and to do everything possible to create a happier and a better life for yourself and for those around you. Just take that first step today to make a better and happier life for you and to go after those dreams. And remember as always that inspiring quote from Horizons, if you can dream it, you can do it. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Welcome to the Walt Disney World Top 7 Must-Sees. <gasps> I am here at the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida with four theme parks, two water parks, recreation and entertainment. And know it or not, you couldn't have picked a better time to be here because there is something going on right now that kicks this whole thing up a notch.